We are in Genesis chapter 3, three weeks ago, it has been, uh, we spent a lot of time on the first half of the first verse of chapter 3, where did Satan come from? Because in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, that is the first inkling that anything was goofy at all in the garden. Before that, we knew that everything was very good. There was no evil. God is not the author of evil. In his creation, God did not create evil. At the end of the creation, he declared it all to be very good. Um, It is important that we not impugn or impugn God or indict his character say things falsely about him that aren't true it's going to be very easy here in Genesis chapter 3 to go God did this God was a cosmic setup you know he just set them up to face plant and that's what Satan's going to whisper in Eve's ear a little bit um Chapter 3 and verse 1 says that the serpent was crafty. He was crafty. That word is used elsewhere in scripture to describe prudence. Where you don't just go headlong into something, but you actually take time to measure a situation. But hopefully prudence is measuring a situation for good to come. For wisdom to be applied. But for Satan, that prudence is not prudence. It's a plan not for wisdom, not for, it's it's a plan for destruction. Looking for an opportunity to seize an opportunity. From Genesis here, even in this chapter, We don't learn much about Satan. So we spent a lot of time looking through God's word. Um, Perhaps some of the clearest explanations of who Satan is come from our Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of that smack in one verse where he's comparing the Pharisees to their father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. He was a murderer There is no truth in him. That is his character. We looked briefly at the beginning of Job also, where Satan comes to accuse. And we see from the New Testament also that that is Satan's shtick right now before God to accuse the saints. Hey, he's a sinner. She's a sinner. Do you know what she did? Do you know what she did? Oh man. Do you know what they did? And we looked at two prophecies, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, 14 and 28, um, to see what many believe to be the history of Satan, that he was created a beautiful angelic being, perhaps even the one to mediate worship in the throne room of God, but pride seized his heart, pride over his beauty, desirous of a position of authority within the heavens, 
over even God, and boom, he and the third of the angelic host were cast to heaven. Or test, test with you. Uh, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. I believe, I believe it was recorded. I can also send you my notes if you would like because there's a mess of verses that we went through. If anybody ever wants my notes, it's not like for a fee, I will give them out to you. If you can follow them, good luck. But, you know, they're, sure. Um, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of the world. Jesus Christ, God the Son understands the authority that God, the Father, has given Satan in the earth to rule the earth for a time. A ruler of the world in a manner. God is absolutely sovereign over him. However, still, that should be a little slap of sobriety. He's the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Ruler of the world was John 14, 20. Prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, 2. Second uh, Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. We see that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Remember, he was beautiful. So he is deceptive. He is deceptive. So here we are in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, again, let's, let's just kind of set the stage here. Um, Adam and Eve, do they know this guy's here? Does he know, do they know prior to this that he's there? Well, it doesn't say, and we don't get any indication that God warned them. You know, there are, there are some unanswerable questions. Did God need to warn them? Nah, nah. But Eve is walking through the garden expecting no threat. There is no threat. It's the Garden of Eden. Life is great. You know, newly created, no telling how long they have been on the earth at this point. And Eve expects no threat. Where's Adam? Who knows? You know, this, that point becomes a real hang-up for a lot of people. Well, Adam should have been there and gardened his wife and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm sorry, but if you don't expect a threat, your guns are going to be down. You know, you're not going to have a guard up. There is no threat. They were snoozing on December 7th, 1941. There's no threat. We're out in the middle of the ocean. Japanese aren't going to attack Pearl Harbor. Are you kidding? We know about it. There's no threat. So Eve's walking the garden. Where's Adam? Wouldn't worry about it. Doesn't say. Yep, yep. Doing his job. Okay. And so here we go. The end of verse 1. He... The serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Uh, 
that what God said? Is it? He did. He just didn't finish the sentence. Um. Is it true you can watch any television program you want, or is it true you're not allowed to watch any television programs? Well. I'm trying to put boundaries on something that not really there. If I get asked that question, I'm going to go. What? Yeah, it's like, what, what, what? You're telling me I can't do something? It makes me go back in the Rolodex of my mind and go, what was said? Because is this, is this way off base? No. No. It's just, mm. It's one word, any tree, rather than one tree. Okay. You may surely eat of every tree in the so garden. let's 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 see. God said, "You shall not eat of any tree in the garden." No, of course He didn't say that. God said, like Arnold just highlighted, "You got all of them, every one of them, but one. You shall not eat of that tree." For in the day that you do, you shall surely die. Chapter 2, verse 17. Question. So the critic would say, well, why would God even bother putting the tree in there? Yeah. We, you, oh, I was go back to the last one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> or, or a couple times ago when we, we talked about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In his sovereign plan, boom, here's the boundary. You may not. Okay. And we're actually, we're going to get into the... Why not? Here in just a bit. And how Satan is going to take, he's going to twist, he twists things. So he messes it up just enough to make, to again go, whoa. Is this a one-time tactic for Satan? Or is this his modus operandi? You know, I, yeah. Perfect. You know, uh, you know, he starts quoting scripture at Jesus. The actual scriptures. But he just takes them out of context. And messes up the application. This is the way he does it. This is why being attentive about the church you go to, and I say this to the youngsters here right now who are going to be going out from us at some point future, man, if somebody's off a degree in their theology, it can be huge. We have areas we can agree to disagree. Okay? So it's important to understand what are the important non-negotiables with regard to the word of God where you go, I am not compromising this. But other stuff, paint schemes, carpet, you know, not a big deal. Talk to your parents, talk to your pastors, talk to your teachers about those kinds of things.
know, he is a liar, the father of lies. It's his character, it's his nature, it's his tactic to lie and to deceive. So that is why it is vital, it is vital, it is critical, it is a non-negotiable for saints knowing God's word. You must. You must. Um, if you're not in God's word every day, you should be. You should be. Because Satan is going to try to deceive you. And he is going to try and destroy you. An athlete. I want to play in the Masters. What do I have to do? Okay, I've got to practice, practice, practice. Bucket upon bucket upon bucket, a bucket, 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 buckets and buckets of golf balls just for my driver, and then for my two iron, and then for my four iron, and then for my seven iron, and then, you know, I need how to draw it, fade it, practice. I got to practice chipping, putting, chipping from here, chipping from here, putting, putt, 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 putt. How many times have I done it? Forever. How many times have I read God's word? A bunch. And you know what? Every time I go through God's word, it's like, oh, whoa. Oh, it's so good. There are some times, it just ricochets. But I've got to be in this. I've got to train. Sometimes on the golf course, they just, eh, it's not there. The ball's going off in directions you don't intend. That's, those are, there's days like that. Yes, absolutely. But for the saint, man, You know, if, if military people study the enemy, study their own tactics, study the enemy, study the culture of the enemy, that they might understand the enemy, and they know their own systems and they know their own tactics, I mean, this is all for perishable stuff. Masters, green jacket, really nice, great, whatever. Your name goes on the trophy or on the wall, whatever, I don't know. That's going to burn. Nations are going to rise and fall. But this is eternity. And there's one who wants to destroy you. And there is one who wants to destroy your family members. And there's one who wants to destroy your friends. We must know God's word. So, there's the question. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. How we doing? Good. Here I go. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. How are we doing? Good. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Nope. Nope. He didn't say that. He said you may not eat. Of it. Didn't say anything about touching it. Okay. So Eve highlights God's good provision for them. He said, We got we got this hey, you're you're a little you're a little goofy there. He didn't say we couldn't eat. He said we could eat. We got everything going. So she recognizes God's good provision. She recognizes the command not to eat. 
She says, neither shall you touch. Why might this be a bad thing? To touch it or to have that rule? For her to say that. For her to think that. Okay. You're playing with the thing. You're that much closer to it. Okay. So it becomes tempting. I'm already touching it. Let me keep going. Okay, but why? Why would her saying that might that not? Because it's a distortion of the truth. Okay. Now, why is that phrase a bad thing? You may not touch it. Because it's not true. Because it's not true. Okay. And pretty soon I begin to say this is what God said. And God didn't say that. <clears throat> See what I'm saying? Um, scripture. Katrina, would you go to Revelation 22? Elaine, Proverbs 30. Arnold, Deuteronomy 4. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, please. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Whoa. That's pretty serious. Do not add to it. Do not take away from it. Elaine, Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Whoa. Arnold, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add to the word that I command you nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Okay, so how consistent is that within Scripture? <clears throat> okay, there, we had one at the beginning, one at the end, one in the middle. Okay. So there is a warning against adding to God's word. So there's a caution that what Eve said there might be a bad thing. Why might it be a very good thing? So it could be you're trying to be cautious. So, you know, like I think of like... Don't touch it because then you're tempted. I'm sorry, Keaton, what were you saying? Okay, and it kind of goes what David was saying there. You know, if you're if you're holding it, man, you're going. You're that much closer. Why are you even there? Now, God didn't say don't touch it. However, so why did how did Eve come up with this? That would 
be my thinking is that together, husband and wife, they went, hey, we're just, if we're not supposed to eat of it, we are not even going to touch it. Not going near it. So, you know, it, it might be a good thing. You know, what are, what are some guardrails people put around their lives in Christians? What are some guardrails some Christians have? Who they'll be with one-on-one, what they'll drink, okay. what movies they'll watch. Good. Movies, drink, who they spend time with. You know, pastors need to counsel women. How are they going to do that? Um, you know, I, it's you better have guardrails up um, that way. But it's important. We oftentimes see as Christians these guardrails elevated to gospel. Don't get to dress measurement. Dress a little high there. Uh, what if you drink wine? And how often? And what movie? I believe there are some movies you probably shouldn't be going to. And I would probably talk to you about that and why. However, to to say we don't go to any movies, that's a guardrail. To say we won't go to any R-rated movies, that's a guardrail. I would suggest some PG-13 movies are a whole lot worse than some of the R movies that, that are out there. But, you know, those are, those are guardrails that you make for your protection and hopefully the protection of your family. Your kids aren't going to understand it. At the time, they're going to buck against it. They're going to hate it. They're going to, ah, they get to do it. We don't get to it. And they're not going to comprehend it. That's okay. They'll get over it at some point. But it's really important for us to understand that those are not gospel edicts that say thou shalt not go to a PG-13 rated movie or thou shalt not go to the movies. Something you are going to have to decide in your own heart. Jeremy preached on this a few weeks back. You know, now we have grace toward one another, hopefully, within the body. Eve noted also the consequence of this, lest you die. She did not hear this from God's mouth that we know of in Scripture. Because God gave this consequence to Adam. So it's likely that Adam told Eve. Is it possible that God had to sit down with her as well? Possible, but God's word doesn't say that. And so we imply that Adam shared that correctly with her. And here comes the blatant Lie. But the serpent, verse 4, said to the woman, You will not surely die. Okay. That's about as opposite as you can get. God says you will. Satan says you won't. He's saying there's not going to be any harm. There's no harm in this. It's just a tree. It's just fruit. There's no punishment. There is no consequence to this. 
by implication, it's not bad. I'm surprised he didn't quote God and say, God said everything was very good. He said it's all good. And so if it's good, therefore, how can there be a prohibition against it? Satan first muddles her up, rocks her back, and then he absolutely counters God's word. Satan is impugning God's character. He is dirtying God's character. Verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's telling her that God, when, when God says, you can't believe it. When God says yes, or God says no, that's not really what he means. He means something different. You can't understand God's word. He implies that God has ulterior motives that he doesn't make plain to his creatures. God's, God's, he's keeping stuff from you. He's not telling you the whole story. God, God knows that if you do this, God knows this, but he's not telling you that. <laughs> he's just keeping it from you. He's keeping from you this good thing. This good thing here. God knows you will be like him. And what, is, what does that imply? It implies he's jealous. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to keep you under his control. He doesn't want you to think for yourself. God knows. God knows, but he's not telling you. He doesn't want you to be free. You can be free. You can do what you want. The devil is impugning God's character. The one who created Adam and Eve. The one who provided them the garden. The one who provided them each other. The one who provided them the glorious cosmos to behold. The one who enjoyed sweet fellowship with them. Satan is impugning his character. And he talks about the good. There are good things. There are such good things that will come if only you will do this. The good that comes from evil. What are some of the things that he says will come from this? 
be like God. Okay? You will be like God. Now, okay. How sitting here do we go? That's ridiculous. How can we sit here and say this is patently absurd? You're, first of all, you're created in God's image. You're already like God. In many ways, you're created to have a relationship and fellowship with him. But can the creature ever be like the creator? Yeah, no. Now, what he was selling, what it seems to me, in this verse is knowing good and evil. We'll get to that one. And, and we'll talk about whether God really knows good and evil. Their eyes were opened. Your eyes will be opened. By implication, what does that mean? Your eyes are closed. You're not seeing things clearly. Again, he has deceived you. He has put a veil over your eyes. I'm going to take the veil off so that you can see clearly. Would would we say he's partially right, though? Because their eyes were open to see they were naked. God's having blinders wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Okay. Like, to me, it's like another distortion. Satan is actually not fully lying. He's twisting it. This gets, this gets down to knowing. This gets down to knowledge. What, what do we know? What don't we know? And how do we know it? And can we know it? And can we dismiss it simply because you didn't know it? So, and as a matter of fact, we're going right there. So your eyes will be opened. You will be like God. See, these are great things in this tree here. And the last one is you will know things. You will know things that you don't know. You will know good and evil. How, how is it that we know stuff? experience or we're taught it is there any other way you either experience it or you learn about it you either have a, a, a an experience or you have a cognition a, a mental awareness of this thing is there any other way I couldn't think of one so can somebody know a thing without experiencing the thing Okay, on a level, there's a skeptical eyebrow, yes? Over there? There are times that, you know, like we say that they have a natural ability, something that's not been taught, something that's innate. Mm -hmm. So I guess that right there would be something that's God-given, but isn't necessarily learned. Okay. Um, a male gynecologist. Does he know stuff? No. Does he not know stuff? Absolutely. Uh, he's, he's seen it. He's experienced it outside of himself. But he, a counselor who talks to others um, about uh, depression, who's never been depressed. Is he, is, can he not talk about that? Because he's never been depressed? Well, you don't know. 
Well, he can. Because an outside perspective may not have the innate and intimate knowledge, the depth of knowledge of depression. Good. Good. Do I need to drop heroin to know the ecstasies and the ravage of the drug? I readily see that. Yep. You know, can I surmise that the high is pretty high? Sure. Go, ah, I'm sure it's going to... And I also see the... And all the destruction that it brings. Who has the fullest knowledge of good and evil? God. God. Who has never experienced... Evil. God. God. So, at this point, can we believe that Adam and Eve understand right and wrong, good and evil? Yes. Yes. You know, I think sometimes we look at Adam and Eve like newborn babies and they're like, not very bright. But I would argue that perfect man had perfect knowledge at that point and had, I mean, had a full-blown full vocabulary. And so to comprehend the world around him, I think he did at a level that we don't. Well, they must have or else God would not have told them not to do something. Okay, good. So we're coming up. We're coming up to the to the big the big mistake. I made a mistake. Yeah, no, he sinned. He rebelled. Um, so what are Eve's options at this point? Before you know, as we get into the surrender, what are Eve's options? So here, here she's confronted with this guy. What does she do? What are her options? Turn and run. Run away. Okay. Okay. She can make an argument against what he's saying. You know, Kill her. Go get her. <laughs> okay, that's in, in the runaway. You know, go go even simpler. What Kill are her What are her choices? Eat it or not eat it. Yeah. And so I think I think there's three. Eat the thing. Don't eat the thing. Run away. Which would also be not eat the thing. Okay, which would not eat, eat the thing. But in running away, what should she run away to? Run away to her husband? Where else could she run? To God. To God. Go, whoa, what's this guy? And since when do the snakes talk? <laughs> I wrote that question. You know? That's true. Because you're first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so there it is. And what we get to is the crux of sin. Especially so for the believer with knowledge of the living God. The issue, the crux of sin is, are you going to trust God or not? This one has just made an argument as to why you should eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does she have from God? Probably just <laughs> I mean, we could, we could think on that level. 
You know, she, her very breath is a gift from the living God. But all she has from God is a command. Don't. Did he explain why not? Well, he said you'll die. But why? How come? What's this tree here for? And we see that it is a beautiful tree. And it's got fruit on the tree. Why? You look at the tree and you go, what's wrong with the tree? Will we trust God even though we don't know his reasons? Why is this so? What's wrong with the tree? I would argue nothing is wrong with the tree. It was very good. It was a very good tree. Because that's what God's word says. God said it was very good. Will we trust God's command? Will we trust God? Will we trust his, therefore trust his commands and his guidance as good for us? Even though I don't get it. Even though now in Eve's mind it is contrary to these really good arguments that this talking snake has put forth. God's word is against this that seems so right. Is this not what we face in the world? But I love this person. Well, you're already married. But I love this person. But they're the same sex that you are. Will I trust God apart from my passions that feel so right? It seems to make perfect sense. But God says no. He doesn't understand. He's keeping something from me. Once again, we impugn God's character when we start to make arguments like that. We think that God's word isn't what it really says. We think that God is somehow not, a, not for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, it would be better for this child um, who is handicapped if I, just, if I just end his life right now. You know, what, 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 what will my family do if they find out and what would this do to my family, my, my, my dad? And my, what's this going to do to my education, my career? You know, the rich have money. The rich have money. Why don't, why don't we just tax the rich? Free education for everybody. You know, that seems, well, that's a good plan. It's a great plan. Let's do that. So that's what Satan whispers in her ear and then he just kind of slithers back into the tree. doesn't say that, but you can imagine. I rest my case. And so now Eve's on her own in verse 6. 
tempted Eve see? She saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Tree's good for food. First John talks about sin being the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Here's the lust of the flesh. Oh, this is going to be good. Oh, this is going to be good. It's really good. It looks good. It looks really good. Lust of the eyes. It was a, del- it was a del- it even says it was delight- a delight to the eyes. It's beautiful. Beautiful tree. I'm sure the, the fruit looked awesome. Is everything that is lovely good? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. No. No, no. Some beautiful, beautiful flowers will kill you. Some very beautiful animals. A lion. It's beautiful. They'll kill you. They'll kill you. Bears. Okay, they'll kill you. Jellyfish. Man, some really, really beautiful jellyfish. Hey, hey. Ah. You know. And that's it. You're done. And it sees you up. And it's desired to make one wise. You will be like God. The pride of life. What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs. Throughout Proverbs. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So she saw that. And man, there's like no, there's, and she ate. She took of its fruit and ate. Bing. But it doesn't end there. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. Oh, he was with her. Does that mean he was with her or with her there in the garden? Don't know. I would assume not right beside her because he's just spectating on this wretched sport that's going on. Uh, Why don't you say something? So I would not assume that he's by her side. So he eats. What is different between Adam and Eve's sin here? He was unknowing. I'm sorry, what? He was unknowing to the serpent. He is indicted by the living God because he knew and disobeyed. Eve was deceived. Okay, and we, we see that play out later in Scripture in the New Testament. Where Paul says that Eve was deceived. Adam, Adam, Adam just walked headlong and went, sure. So he in a sense, is also deceived. Because if he knew, and he interpreted Eve is still alive, not dead. I wouldn't. You could. You could read. I would not. I would not. I would. You might. I can see that. Mm-hmm. You can go with that, but I would try not to. My 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 own opinion and understanding would be that they had a conversation amongst each other. 
at some point before this happened. Because she, I'm sure she's like, hey, come here, look. You he know? goes, that's the, would he not recognize it? I'm sure he recognized it. So they might have had some kind of dialogue for where he went along with it. You have so, to think that in a perfect, like in this perfect marital setting that he, like, why did he trust her more than what God had said to say, like, it's fine, eat it, look, I'm fine, you eat it. And that, that gets me to my next point. Husband and wife, and you who aren't there yet, never underestimate the power for good and the power for evil that you have in your relationship with your spouse. Never underestimate the power for good or the power for evil that you have with your spouse. You know, in a good marriage, hopefully it is your desire to please your spouse. But that can also make you, in trying to please your spouse, avoid conflict that needs to happen. Conversations that need to happen. So they ate. Next week we're going to look at the fallout, but just some, some takeaways. Um, comprehend the craftiness of the evil one. Satan wants you destroyed. And again, Satan is not alone. So in the demonic realm, we can't see them. We don't know when they're around. We don't know where they are, but they're there. And they know you. And they will wait. And they will watch you. And they understand you and your predilections and your bents and your, your favorites and all of those things. And they're just going to go like this. They're going to set up the dominoes so that you go bink. And it all just goes to pieces. Do you think, though, that we're too quick to blame, like, that instead of just our own natural signature? Like, I don't feel like I need much help. You don't. In knocking my own dominoes over. All it takes is a little push. Yeah. Yeah. So, we got both things going. You got your own wicked heart. Um, second thing. Know God and desire God. He loves you. He made you. He put breath in your lungs. For, I, I'm, I'm going to assume, it's always a bad assume, but if we are all brothers and sisters in the Lord here, your desire should be for God. And if you desire God, if you really truly want to know God, you must know his word. You ought to want to know his word. If that is not a taste in your mouth, cultivate it. Cultivate it. You don't like broccoli, man, dude, just keep eating broccoli. Okay, that may be a bad example. But cultivate a taste for it. In this battle, by the way, when, when are there times where you are not in battle? On this, under this sun, no. Under this sun, sometimes not as intensely as others. No, I mean, you know, I could, I could, I could point it at him and just ask him, because, I mean, even when you're teaching, sometimes it's like, where did that come from? 
you know, what a bizarre and spurious thought there. Know where you are weak in the battle. Know where you are weak and shore those things up. But also know, fifth, know where you are strong and don't get complacent there. Because he who thinks he stands, beware lest he should fall. Very possible that where you are strong, you may end up with a pride issue and it become destruction for you. The last thing, man, Eve should have beat feet to the living God. Know that you cannot battle on your own. You will be destroyed. Cannot battle on your own. You must, the, you must flee from the darkness and rush into the light, into fellowship with the living God. All right, any other thoughts? I would say that about.